Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Go ahead and turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. And uh, we're going to finish up our series this morning in the book of Daniel as we go through the, uh, the narrative section. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you. And if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take that with you today. Um, again, let me remind you that at the end of service, our new members will be down front. Please come up, give them a handshake, a holy high five, or a hug. Uh, don't be afraid of the coronavirus. It's not here yet. Uh, just go ahead and make them feel welcome. Too soon? Too, okay, my bad. Uh, go ahead and make them feel welcome. And uh, also, next week, we'll have a guest speaker here, uh, Randy Bonner. He's our local missionary with the CrossNet Baptist Association. He'll be sharing with you more about local missions and, and evangelism and how to be evangelistic and, and different things like that. And also, we will have Pastor Al and the team back from uh, Puerto Rico, and they'll be giving an update on all the things that happened this week as they're suffering for the Lord in 83-degree weather. So um, we'll be excited to hear about that. So uh, Conviction in a Corrupt Culture has been the series that we've talked about. We've talked about the fact that uh, just like in the days of Daniel, Daniel, he was taken and placed into uh, Babylon, placed into a corrupt culture, and he had to live with conviction. We too are called to live with conviction in a corrupt culture. Week one, we saw the captivity. The captivity of Daniel and his friends, and they were forced into Babylon, and the corrupt culture sought to isolate them. It sought to indoctrinate them. It sought to re-identify them, and the spirit of Babylon still exists today. The culture that we live in is seeking to take Christians and lead them towards compromise. It's seeking to destroy their character, and it's seeking to re-identify them and re-indoctrinate them with their beliefs about what is true and what is right. The second week, we got to the dream, and Daniel, here in this This uh, chapter, he positioned himself for an opportunity to declare the power, the plan, and the purposes of God. Conviction in a corrupt culture cultivates the Great Commission. They prayed and positioned themselves to make a difference in the culture. As we live in a corrupt culture, we are to be a people that position ourselves to cultivate the Great Commission. We're called to go into the culture, to go into a corrupt culture, and show the purpose, the plan, and uh, the love of Jesus Christ to those who are in need. Week three, the fiery furnace. These three Hebrew young men chose to stand in conviction rather than bow down and compromise. If comfort comes before conviction, expect compromise. That's what we've been seeing the the whole time. If, If we choose to live a life based on comfort, then we'll give up our convictions and we'll see that compromise uh, comes in. But these men, they stood. They wouldn't bow down and uh, they stood in the face of, of face of Nebuchadnezzar. Week four, the fall. King Nebuchadnezzar learns to repent the hard way. God placed Daniel in a particular community, in a particular culture, to be the voice of conviction and a visible warning sign that his wrath was coming to those who live corrupted by sin. It was a clear picture. Hey, this dream is that that you are unrepentant. And since you're so unrepentant, God's going to break your pride and you're going to go crazy. And we saw that those who live a life of sin, their lives do look like they are living as wild animals, going after pleasure rather than after the purposes of God. And the last week, my favorite week out of all of them, has been the writing on the wall, chapter 5. God's word warns us of God's wrath on sin. God's word convicts us to come to Jesus. Our days are numbered, and we will be weighed against the righteousness of Jesus. And only those who are in Christ will have their sins forgiven and the wrath of God appeased. 
The writing on the wall is clear. Numbered, divided, weighed, and divided. The days are numbered. And one day Christ will return in all his glory to divide the sheep from the goats. And then this week, chapter 6, one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. If you ask anybody whether they've grown up in church or they haven't grown up in church, everyone knows about Daniel and the lion's den. And usually when you talk about Daniel in the lion's den, you see this young man, this, this teenage boy, bless his heart, being thrown into the lion's den. And in all actuality, Daniel is probably 90 plus years old at this point. He's lived 70 plus years in captivity and he's in the lion's den. And we see that conviction occurs when a life is changed by Christ, constrained by Christ, and is continually displaying the character of Christ, even in an ever-changing corrupt culture. Daniel shows us what it looks like to live with conviction in a corrupt culture, whether you're 9, 19, or 90. Can I pray for us as we jump into God's Word? Father, we thank you so much for your Word today. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that even stories and narratives of old can show us the purpose and the plan of you. And Jesus Christ, we would pray that you would bring us understanding, you would bring us clarity, and God, you would awaken our souls to your Spirit today as we get into your word. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see as we go through chapter 6 is conviction in a corrupt culture lives a long life of faithful integrity. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, as you remember, as we ended last chapter, uh, there's, there's a new king in town, right? The Persian Mede-Persian army has come in, taken over Babylon. And now Daniel has being risen up again under another king. Let's keep going here. And it says in verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. There was something that distinguished Daniel from everyone else. And from this verse, you can tell what it is. An excellent spirit. He was filled with the spirit. The spirit of God living in Daniel made him different than everyone else that was around. Daniel's again being used by God to infiltrate a foreign regime to be a witness to a corrupt culture if the Spirit of God is in you, it doesn't matter if you're 9 or 90. God has a purpose for you in advancing His kingdom. That's good news for every single one of us in here. Whether you're from 9 to 90, God has a purpose for you by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you to advance His kingdom. And He's doing that in the life of Daniel. Daniel's manner of work was a witness. Your work is a witness. Your attitude at work is a witness. Your approach to work your ability and your spirituality are a witness in your workplace. It's easy for us to disconnect the Monday through Friday and the Sunday morning. But I've got news for you. Daniel was distinguished in the workplace because the spirit that was in him was different. Can I ask you this question? When you go to work Monday through Friday, and those that work with you, when they watch how you work, how you talk, how you act, your attitude, and your approach to work, do they see a distinguished difference in you because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? That was Daniel. And he's not retired. He's still, he's still being advanced. He's still being put forth as, as an excellent person. And, and 
he's about to be put in charge of all these people. And you know what? He's not, he's not up on the debate stage with other candidates. He, it's a political time, and he's not, he's not bombarding you or bloombarding you with uh, commercials. Good, I'm glad some of you got that. Yeah, he's not bloombarding you with commercials. Like, he's, he's not running for office. He's just so distinguished and different that there's just something about him that draws people to see, and, and King Darius to see that he's excellent. Verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel represents a man of faithful integrity. I've given you this definition. Faithful integrity is an authentic faith and belief and action along with an attitude of integrity that is seen in constant Christ-like character. This distinguished spirit, this difference in Daniel lived itself out in faithful action but also in faithful character. They could find nothing wrong with Daniel. They could find no ground, is what it says, for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. He was faithful. This word integrity in the Old Testament and the Hebrew word tra- translates it means the condition of being without blemish, completeness, perfection, sincerity, soundness, uprightness, wholeness. There was something about Daniel that was complete. His life with Christ was a complete example of what it meant to be someone who was so dependent upon the Spirit. It was complete, it was whole. The idea of integrity in the New Testament is honesty and adherence to a pattern of good works. He followed God and his law. And also, integrity in our world implies moral incorruptibility. He wasn't corrupted by the culture. Conviction produces an incorruptible character in in a corrupt culture. God wants to do something in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's to create in you a character that is Christ-like, that stands against the counterculture that we live in. Integrity asks these questions. Who are you? When no one else is watching? Who do you serve when no one is watching or holding you accountable? Is Christ's likeness consistent in your life or is it inconsistent? Are you zealous for what is good or are you zealous for what is gratifying? See, Peter puts it this way in chapter 3, 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You take these verses of Peter, and you can apply them directly to the life of Daniel. He's zealous for what is good, and he's about to be persecuted for it. And those that are bringing an accusation against him are going to be put to shame, because his life is one of faithfulness, faith in action, and one of integrity, one of consistent Christ-like character. And it was God's will. It was God's will to allow Daniel to walk through this so that he could be glorified. 
To live with integrity is to live faithfully for Christ, even when no one is watching and even if it costs you everything. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel teaches us that a genuine faith in God is seen in consistent faithfulness to God. Our mouth might verbalize our faith, but our actions give validity to our faith. Daniel didn't just say that he was a follower of God. His actions convicted him of being a follower of God. They looked and they saw how he lived, and they're like, look, there's no way for us to find any fault in this man unless we use his adherence to God's law against him. Unless we can manipulate the situation, there's no way we're going to find a fault in this guy because there's just something different about him. He is, he is a light in a dark world, and there's, there's no darkness in him at all. And so we've got to do something here to change how it goes here. And he, you know, it's not just his mouth that says, I'm a follower of God. It's his faithful action. If no one can accuse you by your actions of faith in God, then you may not have genuine faith. You go back and you think about Daniel and his workplace environment and how they were continually looking for a way to accuse him. Let me ask you, if the people that you work with, the people that are in your family, the people who are uh, constantly in contact with you, maybe your neighbors and your community, if they were to watch your life over the period of a week, a few days, would your actions convict you as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Or would your mouth just simply claim something that your body is not following through with? That's a difficult question. Because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe that. It's a different thing to have faithful action and integrity. Verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. It says all of them. I'm pretty sure Daniel wasn't a part of that. So they should be thrown into the den of lions. Verse 8, now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. What you see here is that having a consistent display of faithful action and Christ-like character in a corrupt culture will make you a target for attack. Don't be surprised when those who are around you attack you for living faithful to God, living with conviction. The enemy wants to desperately to expose your flesh and your failures. The enemy wants to expose your failures. And the reason he wants to expose your failures is because then he can wreck your witness. If you're not zealous for what is good, but zealous for what is gratifying, he can find a way to destroy your life. He wants you to fail. He wants you to second guess your faith, and he wants you to be consumed with the spiritual confusion. That's exactly what happens. The enemy comes in and he tries to create things in your life that will cause you to second guess whether or not what you're doing is correct. Well, maybe, maybe I don't even know God. If I knew God, would I have this sin in my life? If I, if I knew God, would I have this temptation in my life? If, if I knew God, would I have these doubts in my life? And he begins to make you second guess your faith because he's coming against you. If you're going to live with faithfulness and a character that's Christ-like and a, that's consistent in a counterculture, 
expect to be attacked. The enemy attacks integrity through sinful temptations and treacherous schemes. Now, I want you to get this. We all know he's going to come with us with temptations. And if I were to ask you right now, hey, what temptation in your life can he get you with? Something just popped in your brain. Oh, I know that's my weak area. If you know what your weak area is, I guarantee you the enemy knows what your weak area is. But he also comes with treacherous schemes. He uses the people who are around you and the relationships that you're in to cause turmoil in your walk so that you will have spiritual confusion. I mean, think about, think about this for just a second. He's using the people that Daniel works alongside to use his spiritual faithfulness against him to put him in the lion's den. Sometimes people around you are just simply being used as pawns of Satan to destroy your spirituality. And they don't even know. The relationships are falling apart and you're beginning to second guess, well, is this really what God's will is? Why am I struggling with these relationships? Why am I having so much drama and, and problems at work? Is, is it because you're being attacked for being faithful? You think about treacherous schemes. He used Judas, who was close to Jesus, to try to destroy him. I mean, can you imagine the one he'd, he had walked with for three years, that he had heard, uh, Judas had heard all of the talks that Jesus had given. He had, he had been there and seen all these miracles, and yet this treacherous scheme the enemy used to try to destroy him. John 15, 19 through 20, if you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If the world hated Jesus, then the world will hate you when you live for Jesus. If the enemy tempted Jesus, he will tempt you. If the enemy used treacherous schemes to destroy Jesus, he will use them against you. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. Proof that we are Christians is that the world hates us. Neither does the world hate us because we are good. Let us be quite clear about that. The world does not hate good people. The world only hates Christian people. That is the subtle, vital distinction. If you are just a good person, the world, far from hating you, will admire you. It will cheer you. And what is true of the individual is true of the whole church. The psychological explanation is quite simple. The world likes good people because it feels that they are a compliment to itself. So the world applauds them. But the world, we are told, hates Christians. Not because they are hateful. Not because they are good. Not because they do good. But specifically because they are Christians. Because they are of God. Because they have Christ within them. The question remains, have you ever been hated for your display of Christ-like character in a corrupt culture? Have you ever been a target? Because you exemplified faithfulness and integrity. John 3, 19 through 21, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Daniel is filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit is evident in his life. He is a light in a dark world, and the darkness does not like it. When we choose to live faithfulness with faithfulness and integrity, the darkness of this world isn't going to like it. Matthew 5.14, Jesus says, You're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We were to be a light in a dark world just like Daniel was. If you live with conviction in a corrupt culture, expect an attack. The corrupt culture is seeking to compromise your faith. You may not realize this, but the spirit of Babylon that carries on today in this corrupt culture that we live in, it wants to turn your conviction into compromise. It wants to turn your character into crookedness. It wants to turn your light into darkness. It wants to take your integrity and make it inconsistent. It wants to turn your faithfulness into fraudulence. It wants to be able to expose you for not being what you claim to be. And you're going to be under attack. 1 John 4, 4, I love how the New Living Translation puts it. But you belong to God. My dear children, you have already won a victory over these people. Because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that is in the world. Amen? Amen? That's good news. You can expect an attack when you live with conviction, but, there's a, but there is a spirit that lives in you that's greater than he that's in the world. And you will be able to stand in victory over that. Jesus is the greater Daniel. Like Daniel, Jesus was found to have no fault in his faithfulness to God and his character. Like Daniel, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, came into a corrupt culture, and his faithful actions and consistent character made him a target. The satraps sought to find a way to accuse Daniel, and likewise, the Pharisees sought to find a way to accuse Jesus. The satraps met in secret to form a plan to kill Daniel, and likewise, the Pharisees met in secret to form a plan to kill Jesus. The only accusation against Daniel was that he was breaking their religious law, and likewise, the only accusation against Jesus was that he was breaking their religious law. Jesus, like Daniel, would be given a death sentence and thrown into a, a pit and a stone would be rolled in front, of the, in front of the grave. But guess what? There was life after death for Daniel and there's life after death for Jesus. And there's life after death for those who put their faith in Jesus. Amen? The story of Daniel is the story of Jesus. It's pointing you towards the one who's going to come. And so live with conviction in a corrupt culture because we know that there's a spirit that indwells us that gives us power to stand. We know that there's a spirit that indwells us that will one day allow us to rise from the grave. An excellent spirit. An excellent spirit was within him. If we are filled with the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Daniel was, then our faith will be public and not private. Daniel portrays a public faith. His faith was so public that they tried to accuse him of things. They tried to find fault with him, and they couldn't find it. His faith was so public that when they made a decree that he shouldn't pray, guess what he did? He prayed. Let's keep reading. Conviction in the corrupt culture consistently calls to God in prayer. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man with, 
within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is, the one, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He was trapped. Daniel had some options. He was in a dilemma. I mean, for 30 days, Daniel could have just said, well, I'm going, God, you know how I pray to you often, but you understand the situation I'm in. You know this is getting kind of, the water's getting kind of rough. I'm just not going to pray. I'm going to take 30 days off. Does he do that? No. He could have said, all right, I'm going to go in. I know I, know, I normally pray upstairs with the windows open, facing Jerusalem because my eyes are fixed on where my Savior's coming. I know that's normally how I pray, but I, for 30 days I'm going to pray in, in the downstairs where there's no windows so nobody will see me. Does he, does he do that? No. Daniel says, all right, now I know I'm not supposed to pray or make any petition, so I'm just going to, I'm not going to bend my knee. I'm not going to close my eyes. I'm not going to clasp my hands. I'm going to walk around and I'm going to pray with my eyes open and no one's going to know that I'm praying. I'm just going to, they're just, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm talking to myself. It's like somebody with a Bluetooth, right? You know, you, you see them and you're like, are they talking to themselves? And then they turn and you're like, oh no, they're on the phone. Good. I was worried. Daniel's faithful communion with God enabled him to be a man of character and conviction. Daniel didn't take a way out because he knew the only thing that kept him living a life of conviction was his daily communion with the Father. He knew that prayer was not just important, but it's essential. I gave you this quote on week two, and I want to repeat it. D. Duke, almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means that there are things that will not happen without prayer. Daniel knew that without prayer, he wouldn't be able to stand. He knew that without prayer, he wouldn't be able to remain faithful with integrity. Daniel knew that prayer was essential for his life. Do you live daily as though you believe prayer is essential or important? Because if prayer had just been important to Daniel, he would have taken a month off. He would have figured out a way to get around it. But prayer was essential. If praying for Daniel wasn't essential, he wouldn't have done it. If prayer wasn't essential, Jesus wouldn't have done it. It says in Luke 5.16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus would continually pull himself away and spend time in prayer. Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He prayed. Jesus knew that prayer was essential to be faithful, and he would even get up early before a busy day so he would not neglect his time in prayer. But it's one of the most often things that we neglect. We neglect because it's important, not just essential. There's three things I want you to learn about prayer from the life of Daniel. Number one, prayer is a primer for faithful action. Prayer is a primer for faithful action. Now, if you've painted any time recently, they're going to ask you a question when you go get the paint, which is a great question. Do you want the primer in it? Right? And everyone, unless you're being really cheap, you say, 
Yes, I want the primer in the paint because the old way was that you had to buy the primer separate and then you had to paint the primer and then you had to paint and that was just extra steps and you didn't want to do the extra step. Sometimes you would try to get away with it and you'd be like, nah, we don't need primer for this. And then you'd see all the little things that were on the wall pop out after one coat. Am I right? That's just me. I'm just scarred for it. Like I'm, I'm the one that's carrying that wound. Okay, I get it. We lost square footage in my first home because my wife would want to paint all the time. Like the walls just kind of, they were closing in. You got to prime before you paint. And so prayer is that first coat. It's a primer for faithful action. It's essential that you spend time in prayer if you want your day to be filled with faithful action to God. And get that. You might want to be faithful to God, but if you're not spending the time priming yourself in prayer to be faithful to God, you might not be faithful to God during the day. Prayer is a primer for faithful action. Daniel knew this. Prayer puts your mind and heart on God and off yourself. When you begin your day with prayer, you say, today is not about me, God. It's about you. I'm about, I'm about your will today. and I'm about your kingdom today. Misguided prayers lead to misguided lives. Oftentimes, we use prayer like it's a genie in the bottle. We rub that thing, God, I got some requests today. It's going to be a big day. I need you to show up. Sometimes we treat it like it's sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Well, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and this is big and shiny, and I want that, right? But prayer, prayer is to be focused on God. Prayer is a primer that leads us to faithful action. Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says this, and I don't want you to miss it in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is the Sermon on the Mount. They ask him, teach us to pray, and he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many of you know that. You've memorized it. You've said it. Do you notice the prayer, number one, is focused on the Father. Hallowed be your name. I'm coming to you. Daniel, when he went up there and he prayed, he faced Jerusalem like he had always done because my eyes are fixated on where my Savior is coming from. I'm fixated on you, God. Hallowed be your name. Prayer is focused on his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not coming with my laundry list of things I want. I'm coming because I'm focused on being a part of your kingdom today. It's a primer for faithful action. Prayer is focused on dependence for his provision. Give us today our daily bread. There's so much that's in there. God would provide for Israel with manna from heaven. He is the bread of life. I am so dependent upon you and your spirit today for me to live a faithful life that your kingdom come, your will be done, and give us today our daily bread. God, I'm so dependent upon you because I can't do it on my own. Prayer is focused on forgiveness from God and toward others. You can't truly forgive unless God is forgiven. God's forgiveness for you and the grace and mercy that you've received is to be a conduit that flows through you towards others. And sometimes you don't have the ability to forgive if it weren't for Christ doing it in you. I'm dependent upon you today. I'm focused on you. I'm focused on your kingdom. I'm desperate for your provision and your presence. And I need your forgiveness so I can forgive others. And lastly, 
Prayer is focused on faithfulness in difficult times. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Daniel knew he was under attack. And that's why he kept praying. When you know that you're under attack, whether it's temptation or treacherous schemes, do you spend time in prayer? Because you know that the enemy wants to destroy you. Throughout Daniel's 70 plus years in captivity, he didn't neglect how essential consistent prayer was for faithful living. He prayed focused on the Father, focused on his kingdom, focused on dependence for his provision, focused on forgiveness from God and toward others because he had a lot to forgive and focused on faithfulness in difficult times. John Piper says this, nothing is more vital than prayer in Christian existence and few things are more vulnerable to neglect. Daniel chose not to neglect his time in prayer. The second thing I want you to see about prayer from the life of Daniel is prayer is essential for consistent character. Prayer governs conduct and conduct makes character. Daily prayer is the power behind daily decisions. You got a big decision to make? You better be praying. And you know what? Character is seen, I've said this before, character is seen not in how you act, but in how you react. And how you react and make decisions throughout the day will be dependent upon how much time you spent in prayer for that day. God, I need you because there's going to be times when I'm going to want to react in the flesh and I'm going to need you to react for me by the power of your spirit. Daily prayer displays our daily dependence upon God to produce in us what we are incapable of producing in and of ourselves. And don't miss this. Your character is only as consistent as your prayer life. Your character will only be as consistent as your prayer life. Let me ask you, is prayer essential? Are you dependent upon God for every decision that you make throughout the day? The last one, prayer prepares, not necessarily protects you from persecution. Jesus prayed, and it prepared him for the cross. Paul prayed, and it prepared him for the day that he would lose his head. Peter prayed, and it prepared him for the day that he would be crucified upside down. Daniel prayed, and it prepared him for the lion's den. In Matthew 26, 36-39, we see the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus with them, um, went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus fell on his face and he modeled the prayer, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm dependent upon you right now because I know that I'm facing a trial and I know I'm going to have to forgive and I can't do it without your spirit. Let me ask you how important, no, how essential is prayer in your life? If we're going to live with conviction in a corrupt culture, then prayer has got to be essential. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, Daniel chapter 6. Then the king when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. So the king doesn't want this to happen, so he's trying to figure a way out. 
and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, O Daniel, that Daniel be brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, underline that, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. It says that he served continually. Our past moments of faithfulness are no substitute for our present faithfulness. If you're living in the glory days of when you used to walk with the Lord, it's not going to get it. A lot of us, we say, oh, back in the day, I remember when I used to do this for the Lord or I used to do this for the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're 9, 19, or 90. God has a purpose because he's equipped you with his spirit to advance his kingdom. We can't rely on our past faithfulness for present circumstances. We need to be faithful in what God's called us to do today. And we're faithful when we pray because we continually go to the Lord. When you give your testimony, your testimony is made up of four parts. Who you were, how Christ saved you, how Christ changed you, and lastly, what's Christ doing in your life today? Don't neglect that part of your testimony. The last thing I want you to see is conviction in a corrupt culture lives a life captured by the cross and confident in the resurrection. Daniel 6, 19 through 23. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. A tone of anguish, which means I'm not expecting to hear anything back from here. Right? But he cries out. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually, you can underline that again, been able to deliver you from the lions. Verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel is a picture of salvation for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Daniel was put into a pit. He was given a death sentence. Daniel's faith was evident in his faithfulness, and for Daniel there was hope on the other side of death. The lion's den was a death sentence, and Daniel was buried in the grave, but he was saved by Christ. It's a picture of what we have in Christ. Daniel's a picture of salvation. Daniel's a picture of resurrection power. You got to see a picture of it this morning through baptism. Colossians 2.12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we are baptized, we are proclaiming that, yes, 
Right now, we are dead to our old self, and we are risen to newness of life. And that's exactly what you got to see this morning when Audrey went through the waters of baptism. You got to see that there's a hope that we have on the other side of death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the stone was rolled in front, but it got rolled away, and he was alive. He was risen from the grave, and through his resurrection, we have life after death. Amen? That's exactly what the point of Daniel is, that we have life after death because we who are faithful and serve him faithfully can have hope. Verse 22, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Blameless. He shut the lion's mouth. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that exactly what happened with Daniel? The enemy, the roaring lion, was down there. Some people say, well, maybe they weren't hungry. Well, you're going to see later on in the chapter, they were very hungry. Maybe they were saying, maybe one pastor said, you know, he was just full of, of grit and gristle by the age of 90, and the, the lions didn't want to eat that. That's not true either, right? They were hungry, and they were looking for someone to devour. But he closed the lion's mouth. You see, your enemy is looking for a way to take you out. He's looking for a way to destroy you, your life, your testimony, and your hope in Christ. The enemy is plotting against you. The enemy is conspiring against you. The enemy is setting a trap for you. So Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How essential is prayer for the life of of the believer, who knows that there's a lion seeking to devour them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. It's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He has given you his spirit to enable you to walk away, to shut the lion's mouth that seeks to devour you. We have a Savior who shuts the mouths of roaring lions and delivers us from the enemy. He says, My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Through Christ and his atoning sacrifice, we are made blameless before God, so we have life after death just like Daniel. Look at what Colossians, Paul says to Colossian church in 1, 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Daniel's a picture of what life with Christ looks like. We all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. Not a single one of us in here have it all together. And maybe when you think about your workplace and the things that have happened over the last week, you think, man, they've got, they've got plenty of stones to throw at me. There's plenty of things that I've done that 
are, are not blameless. I, I've not had a good attitude. I've, I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've, I've participated in things I shouldn't have participated in. But you know what? Your actions don't make you blameless. It's his blood that makes you blameless before him. Covered by the blood of the lamb. When the Pharisees came and they had all those stones in their hands, Jesus said, all right, you who is, who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. And he said to the lady, where's your accuser? I neither do I. I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. There's, there's hope for us in Christ. He's the one that shuts the lion's mouth. He's the one that makes us blameless. He's the one that gives us life after death. And the king commanded to those who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives... And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That part is usually left out in the children's story. But it teaches us that only those who are in Christ are safe from the enemy. Only those who are in Christ are safe. Only those who are in Christ will experience the resurrection. Then King Darius Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all the royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Here's the, here's the focus of all the story, of all these chapters. The focus is on God. The focus is God. He took conviction in a corrupt culture. He took these Hebrew young men. He took them, and even Daniel up until his 90s. He took their conviction and he used it for his glory. The purpose of all those difficulties was to glorify God to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwelt in all the earth. Can I tell you something? The reason we are to live with conviction in a corrupt culture is for God's glory. So that through the difficulties of our lives, I don't know what your lion's den is, I don't know what your fiery furnace is, but as we walk through these things, and as we realize that prayer is essential to get through them, we have a God who saves. We have a God who's with us. We have a God who walks with us through the fires so that he can be glorified with all nations, languages, and tongues. Amen? Live with conviction in a corrupt culture. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.